We've been in the book of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus Christ since um, February, and where our story picks up tonight um, is this is the, the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you were with us last week at any of our locations, we were um, in Mark chapter 13, and Larkin taught on this so well last week, that, um, that Jesus is preparing his apostles for, li- for what life is about to be like when he is gone. That Jesus knows that a day is soon coming when the apostles who have had him in the flesh, who have seen him and heard him and walked with him, he knows that this reality is about to change, that that there's a day quickly coming. And so Jesus just gives him this message, be alert and watch. And today where we pick up, it is is one moment closer to the crucifixion of Jesus and to the moment when he's no longer with him in the flesh. And so we're going to walk through this text tonight and I want to give us some context into the story Uh, and then kind of help pull it into our lives. And so let's start in verse 12 of Mark chapter 14. You guys doing good? Glad to be here tonight? Good. All right. Let's, uh, starting in verse 12, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left. They went into the city and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And so the first kind of idea that I want us to think about this morning is what we see in this text, that, that Christ knows everything. That Christ knows everything. And so uh, the text mentions the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And the Passover was just the first day of this week-long festival that they called the festival of unleavened bread. And here's what might help us get our minds around this a little better. That every Jewish boy and girl, man and woman, would stop on Passover to, 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 to remember all that God had done. There was this nationwide celebration where people would, would get away from their jobs. And they would gather around the table and, and, they would, and they would remember the faithfulness of God. But it wasn't just this night of remembering. It was this night of anticipating this when God would fix all that's broken in the world. When God would do something about all the injustice and all the unrighteousness and all the things in our world that should not be the way that they are. I don't know if you ever heard of Passover before, but I was just kind of doing some studying this week. And what I learned is that Passover felt a lot like Thanksgiving does for us. I don't know exactly what your family does on Thanksgiving, but um, my guess is the majority of us, you have a feast, right? And um, this is what the feel of Passover was. They'd sit around the table and they'd eat this delicious lamb. They had this bread that they would dip in this concoction, kind of like you'd get at Maggiano's or Caravas, and just go to town on it. And they would have wine, and they'd spend the whole night just laughing and, and singing and telling stories and remembering when, how God had worked so powerfully in their past to deliver them from slavery and from bondage and from things and from people that had oppressed them their whole lives. I was kind of thinking, we don't, we don't have an equivalent of Passover in our society where, like as a nation, we stop and we think about God and all that he's done in our country. It'd be amazing if we did, but it just doesn't happen. Like, I was thinking, we don't really do this very much in our spiritual lives, but we do this a lot in our personal lives. And so for those of you who have, uh, are dating someone, you know, you do this your, your first anniversary where maybe you go out to eat and, and, you, and you celebrate and you think back on the past year and, 
and then you anticipate the next year. Or I was thinking about a guy from our church. He texted me this week and um, he said, today is, is my two-month sobriety. And he was thinking about the past 60 days about how God had delivered him and was delivering him, but he knew that the, the journey was just beginning. You know, this past Thursday night is a really special night for me. My wife, 10 years ago this past Thursday, I asked her on, her, on our first day. She said yes, and I've just been fooling her the whole time, just tricking her into staying with me. And but it was really cool because on Thursday night we went back and we, re- we relived our first day and went to the same restaurant and we kind of had this book that we had created that we wanted to be able to remember like our journey. And so we had take these pic- taken these pictures and we wrote underneath it. And so we just sat at this restaurant like scrolling through this book. And it was so cool because there's something about our hearts that just long to remember. Um, and I imagine that, that Passover was a special moment where the people of God, no matter how off they had gotten with God, no matter, no matter how far they had gotten, no, no matter how like, weak their faith was, there was something about sitting at the table with their family and recalling all the ways that God had worked that, that just united them and brought this just force of, of love and gratitude in their hearts. And I was just thinking, I love what we see Jesus doing here with his disciples joining the rest of the nation and remembering Passover. Let's keep going. Verse 13, it says, So Jesus sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. So follow him. And say to the owner of the house that he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left. Listen to this. They went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And I was thinking, I love this. It's so interesting. Soak in what is going on here in the Scriptures. Like, it'd be like me saying to Michael, Hey, Michael, when you leave today, when you get in your awesome Ford Ranger and you pull out onto Blake Moore, there's going to be a little red Mazda that's going to pull out in front of you. And the license plate's going to be 3ZT46S. And that license plate is going to be on the back of this red Mazda. And they're going to have a Baja Burrito sticker in the back windshield. And uh, they're going to turn on the 21st. They're going to go down to Jackson's. I want you to follow them there because they're going to pay for your supper tonight. I promise you, if you get in your truck and a little red Mazda passes by, you're going to be like, wow, this, something crazy is going on. And if, if you drive down and they turn right on 21st and they go to Jackson and pay for your supper, that's going to be a moment that you're like not ever going to forget, right? Like, and I love what we see Jesus doing here. He's looking at his apostles and he tells them, I want you to go and do this. And it says that, that everything that Jesus said happened, happened. And I love this because Jesus tells these guys to do something and they just do it. That the simple obedience to the words of Jesus and it led them to discover something powerful about Jesus. You see, I think this first section of the text, Jesus is wanting us to understand that he knows everything. And part of the joy of walking with Christ is that we get to discover the depths of his character as we walk with him in obedience. Let's keep going. Verse 17, it says that when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And while they were reclining at the table, eating and singing and celebrating and eating, he said to them, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They were saddened. The original word there in the original language, it means that they were grieved deeply. And one by one of them, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Some of your translations might say, is it me? Jesus in verse 20 says, it is one of the 12. 
one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Several things about uh, these five verses have troubled me and confused me this week. But I think the thing that has troubled me most is that that these few verses have forced forced me to see the reality in my life that not only am I capable of betraying Jesus, I'm guilty of it. It's forced me to wrestle with this reality that I'm a part of a church full of people who not only are capable of betraying Jesus, but are guilty of it. I wish we had time, and and hopefully we will as we just kind of journey through this life and um, in this city together. Um, I, I wish I could just sit down with you and tell you some of my story, and I wish I could sit down and hear your story. Here's what you need to know about me. I have seen the goodness of God. Andre, I've seen the, the realness of God. Like Kathleen, I've seen the power of God. I've experienced the glory of God. I, I know deep in my bones that, that God is real. And God has my heart. But this week as I was reading this text, I started to examine my life. And what I realized is that although God has my heart, God has not had my faithfulness. God has not had my, undevoted, my undivided devotion. You know, the day that my son Jones was born, I experienced the realness of God like I never have before in my life. I'd love to tell you the story sometime when my parents called me when I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college and they told me that they were getting divorced. It was one of the crappiest moments in my life, but there was something about that time, that period where I experienced the comfort and the closeness of God like I never have. In ministry, I've been in ministry for eight years and I've experienced his power and I've witnessed him at work and our people in places like this for the past eight years. I got a text or I got this email actually on Thursday morning from this lady in her church and her and her husband, there's been some unfaithfulness in their past and they had, the past two years, had been trying to kind of work on some things and they just decided it wasn't worth it, they were done. And so um, Dave and I had been meeting with them and praying for them and texting them and calling them and just really just trying to, to force them to, to keep trying, keep trying. And they basically just given up. We get an email from them on Thursday morning and she said, hey, she said, by the grace of God, we were both working towards reconciliation. And I just got that email and I just fell on my knees in the office going, God, you're, you're so real. You're so good. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you all have these moments where you go, man, I know that we're not just playing a game, that, that we don't just show up here trying to appease some distant God. You, you know the closeness and the nearness and the power and the goodness of God. Yet, look at, yet as we look at our lives, man, how often we fail. Right? Like how often we forget about God, how often we turn and harden our hearts. This week, one of the things that God was revealing in my heart is that I have been ashamed of Jesus. And God was kind of revealing that earlier this week, and I'm like, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Like, I'm never afraid to tell someone that I'm a pastor. Like, I've got a Bible verse on my Facebook page. Like, there's nothing about me that is ashamed of Christ. Like, I want people to know. But the more that I think about it, I've realized that the past couple months that God has been stirring something in me to start speaking more of his goodness and his love to people who do not yet know his goodness and his love. And so I find myself in opportunities around uh, people in the office that we work with who don't know Christ. 
or in opportunities with my neighbors who don't know Christ and God just keeps putting the ball on the tee for me and it's like I just keep walking back to the dugout. And I just had one of those moments where I realized that Brandon Steele has betrayed Christ and he betrays him over and over again. You look at your life and I think about what we talked about last week where Jesus looks at us and he says, watch, right? And, and how many of us have, have been on 24-7 watch duty since last Sunday, right? Like, no, we've, we've forgotten and we've fallen. We've taken our eyes and our hearts have become hard and the enemy's discouraged us. And, and, I, and I think the reason this story, these particular verses bother me so much is because Jesus is sitting at the table sharing his last meal on earth with guys that he has invested so much in. And every single one of them will fail him. Verse 27, Jesus will say to these guys, you will all fall away from me. And it bothers me because Jesus doesn't deserve this. That his whole ministry, for the past three years, he has protected his apostles and provided for his apostles. And he has shown his apostles, his apostles, his glory. And Christ doesn't deserve to be betrayed. They are not worthy of him. Brandon is not worthy of this God. You are not worthy of this God. Let's keep reading because this is the good news. Verse 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Christ knows everything. And Christ knows everything about us that we don't come here tonight hiding. Like we can hide from ourselves. We can hide from our friends and our girlfriends and our boyfriends and the people that we're sitting beside. But the reality is that, that we cannot hide from Christ. That he knows us, he sees us, he understands us. And I love what we see in this last little section of the text because although Christ knows everything and he knows everything about us, Christ still loves us. Christ loves us. Communion. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the table, however you want to talk about it. It is so much more than just us eating a piece of bread and drinking a cup of juice. I believe it's this great reality that even though we have failed and we will fail him, it's this great understanding that he still wants us at the table. And I realize that the communion moment, the, the table, is primarily about Jesus. That as we take the bread and drink the cup, and we're going to do this in just a minute, man, that, that this is about his goodness. It's primarily about his grace. It's primarily about his love. The table isn't a place that we come back to every week and we kick ourselves over all of our failures. No, the place, the table is a place that we come and we receive from our God mercy and forgiveness and victory and triumph over all of our sins, over all of our rebellion, even over death itself. Because at the table, Christ gives us three things. He gives us a covering and a covenant and a reason to celebrate. At the table, Christ gives us a covering and a covenant and a reason to celebrate. You know, I was thinking about this idea of covering and my, I was thinking about my earthly dad. When I first got my license, I was living up in Kentucky and I was just a cocky little 16-year-old driving a little truck and 
And I remember I was at my friend's house and I was going home and I was backing on the driveway and I just backed right into his truck. Like, just backed right into the door, put this huge dent in it. And I remember just being so discouraged. Just at the end of the summer, I'd been working hard all summer, saving up money. And I come home and I see my dad in the kitchen and I'm just, he could tell that something's wrong. And I said, Dad, like, backed into Tyler's truck and I was just disgusted at myself. I went up to my room and laying in bed later that night, right before I went to sleep, my dad walked in my room and he says, Brandon, he says, I, I want to take care of the damage. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I want to pay for it. I'm like, but why? <laughs> like, I was not paying attention. I was just being stupid. He said, that's just what I want to do for, for you as, as my son. And I was thinking about this story and, you know, you do crazy things for someone that you love. And Christ, in this communion moment, he gives us a covering. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says that God made Jesus who had no sin to become sin for us so that in Jesus we could become the righteousness of God. Or two of my favorite passages in all the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jesus says, or God says to us, your sins and your wickedness, I will remember no more. Or Isaiah chapter one, where God says, though your sins are like scarlet, though your sins are like red, they will be as white as snow. Communion is this beautiful declaration that, that God has come to cover us. To pay for the death that we could not pay. I love that Jesus tells them and he tells us each week to, to eat the bread and to drink the cup. And it sounds weird what Jesus says here if you step outside the church world for a minute. Right, like read what he says. Take it, this is my body. If I gave you a piece of bread tonight and told you to eat it because it was my body, you'd be like, dude, you are weird. And no, I'm not eating, I'm not eating that bread. <laughs> I think what Jesus Christ is doing here is he's wanting us to understand that Communion is this physical partaking of the spiritual reality. It's us eating. It's taking in to us this food, this bread, this juice to be reminded each week that, that Christ is in us. You see, I believe that when we take the bread and we drink the cup, it's us declaring that, that we are receiving from God what he is offering to us. That each week when we receive the bread, we receive the cup, we're saying to God, we believe that although we have failed, we believe that, that you have covered us in your righteousness, that, that you have paid our price because that's what you promised us, Christ. Communion is so much more than just a somber moment where we reflect back on our sins, where we reflect back on the cross that Christ had to die for us. It's this amazing moment where we realize how loved we are by God, that he has come to cover us. That although we have all sinned and rebelled, God didn't throw a towel on us. He didn't give up on us. He sent his son to cover us. So when God sees Callie... <laughs> He sees a forgiven and cleansed daughter of God. I love it, the communion moment. God gives us a covenant. You know, we don't talk about covenant very much outside of church world. The only time I even think about covenant is at a wedding ceremony. A covenant is a really big deal. It's this commitment where you're saying to someone else that you will uphold your end of the deal. I remember standing in, front of my wife holding her hands seven years ago and uh, looking her in the eyes and, and saying to her, for rich or poor, in sickness and health, you will be mine and I'll be yours for the rest of our days. That from this point forward, all of your debt becomes my debt. That all of your struggles are now my struggles. That in everything that we face in life, you'll no longer face it alone, for I'm with you. 
And I think so often we forget about this, that, that Christ is always with us. That he hasn't just come to cover us, to like pay a debt and then leave. That he's come to cover us and to set us right with God so that he can live with us. And he's given us his word that, that you will never spend a day in your life where the presence of God is not with you. That if you are a follower of Christ, I am always with you. He gives us this covering. He gives us this covenant and he gives us a reason to celebrate. A couple weeks ago, I was walking up to um, Cummins Station where our office is and um, there's a security guard that works on Sunday mornings just to kind of patrol the halls and to make sure nothing's getting broken in and um, I walked in and got to talk to this guy. His name's Abraham. He's a believer from Ethiopia, and he's moved here. Just this amazing guy. And he walked, I walked in, and he started talking that I was a pastor. And he asked me, he said, hey, when is y'all's, what time's your celebration? And I'm like, celebration? And I realized that he was talking about this. You know, we come together, and we think about this as a church service or a church gathering. And in his mind, when the people of God come together, the only reason they're coming together is to celebrate all that God has done. And, and I think so often we miss this in communion that, that it's just this sad moment where we kick ourselves for being so foolish and sinful and disobedient. And, and, and Christ is inviting us to the table going, no. It's a moment of celebration. It's this moment where I've, I've done for you what you couldn't do for yourselves. I don't think I've ever even noticed verse 25 before. I read through the book of Mark before, but there's something about this verse that just hit my heart this week. Jesus says to his apostles, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. It's the word of God from Mark chapter 14. And here's what I think is just so beautiful about this. That Christ's death and crucifixion did not sneak up on him. That he is going to Jerusalem with a single focus. He is going to the cross with a single focus. This, everything in the book of Mark shows that, that Jesus is walking to exactly where God wants him to be. To a cruel death, cruel crucifixion for our behalf. But here's what I also love about Jesus. He knows that his father is gonna raise him. I love that he says, I'm gonna drink a cup of wine with you new in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> because Christ knows that death is not the end of his life. That although he will offer his life on the altar of God for our behalf, he knows that God the Father will raise him. And I think Jesus is, is giving us this, this understanding that as we take the bread and drink the cup, that he has covered us. He's promised to always be with us. He's given us his covenant and he's given us this reason to celebrate. Do you realize that, that for those of us who are in Christ, that not even death will be the, the period on the end of our lives. The thing that we fear most in life and Jesus turns it into a comma. Because we are in Christ, we will be like Christ, which means that we will be raised. I love Romans chapter six where it says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I want us to think about this. We, we miss this moment so often in communion that we relegate it to just this time after teaching before we sing a few more songs. And, and I think Christ is wanting to elevate this time, elevate this moment, elevate what we do as a church when we stop and we reflect on Christ. 
And so this is where I want us to end today. You know, God, all throughout the Bible, he offers things to his people. And he says to his people, I'm, I'm giving this to you. But you have to step in and receive it. All throughout the book of the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, I've been reading through the Old Testament recently. God says, I'm gonna give this to you, but you have to step in. I'm gonna give you this, but you have to step in. I'm gonna give you this battle, but you have to step in. I'm gonna give you this land, but you have to step in. I'm gonna give you salvation, but you have to step in. And I think the thing that I want us to understand tonight is that, that Christ is giving all these things to us, a covering and a covenant and a reason to celebrate. But we have to receive it. For those in this room who don't yet follow Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. I mean, this is the safest place in the world for you. Like, keep coming. We love like, being a part of a community that uh, there are people you can come just as you are. You don't have to fake. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to believe in God. You can come here just as you are, and we believe that there's something that God does in this moment. For those of you who are, follow- who are not followers of Jesus, though, I, I want to invite you, man. If you come here tonight and you go, man, I, I-, I want to know God. I want to step into this abundant life. I invite you to receive all that Christ Jesus longs to give to you. That you will receive the Christ as your Lord, your Savior, your King. If you don't follow Jesus, I hope he knows that he loves you. That he's going to continue to pursue you. That Christ has come to deal with all of your sins. To cover you. To give you his covenant give you reason to celebrate. In just a minute, we're going to stand and worship. There are going to be some people at the back, the respond banner. If you want to talk, if you have questions, if, if you just want someone to, to take you to coffee this week because you're wrestling with, is, is this whole God thing real? Man, there is a, a group of team, Larkin and Isaac and Josh and Scott and Michael, their whole team and Alex, just amazing people. They'd love to, to take you to coffee and to sit down with you and hear your story and to help you understand all the ways that God is working. Seriously, take us up on this. If, if you don't know Christ, but you want to know him, if you, if you want to have a real conversation with someone who, who loves God, come find me. Come find one of us in this time. And we'd love to just set up some time to hang out with you this week. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to give us two questions as we go into communion tonight. We're going to, um, just a minute, the band's going to get back up and pray. And I'm just going to invite us to, to kind of spread out. You can go outside and and sit and talk. You can go in the back and sit in the floor. You can sit in your chairs. I just invite us to, to really take advantage of this moment that God has given us each week to talk and to share and to press into each other. The first question that I want to give us is where do you need his covering right now? Where do you need his covering? You know, so often I, I think we are confused that we think that we have to live perfect. And if we don't live perfect lives, we, uh, we end up feeling just disappointed and shame. And, and the thing that is so true about Christians is that, is that we're going to continue to fail. And Christ gives us confession to, to step out of that. And there's something about confessing the places in our lives where we're just missing it to somebody else. To look someone else in the eyes and to go, man, I mess up again. There's something about having the, 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 the courage to, to speak and to let someone in on your actual life. And I know we're all so fearful that people are going to judge us or think things about us. But the moments in my life where I've, I've let someone really in, I think about last Sunday morning, I did this with Aaron, the campus pastor up at Cannery. Um, I just said, man, I, I need to just confess some sin. And I was so fearful about what he was going to say, what, what he was going to think or say. And, and he looked at me and he just, just prayed for me. And there's something about confessing 
the areas where we're missing it that just has this way of bringing grace and joy into our lives. And so I invite you tonight to, to share where do you need this covering? Where do you need this covering? The second question is this. Who in your life needs to know about the covering and the covenant and the celebration of God? As you look at your life, maybe it's one of the teachers that you teach with or friend in your biology class or your roommate or your girlfriend who is it in your life that does not know Christ and I want to encourage you to to pray for them in our communion time and to ask God to, to open up a door for you to speak and to invite them to know God this week I love this text Christ is elevating this communion moment for us I think helping us understand what he intended all along and so tonight as we take communion Pray that he will meet us in these places, that he'll fill us with joy and courage as we talk to these questions. Let's pray and then we'll take communion.